This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And today the business at hand is the business of legal representation for businesses, large corporations, and basically most Americans, most people in the world, are not really all that familiar with the role of business attorneys, much less the role of an in-house legal counsel. They might know about litigation, uh, seen attorneys uh, on television uh, that are representing uh, companies uh, or individuals on business-related matters. But today we're going to shed some light on the, the range of legal expertise that is provided to businesses by lawyers in private practice, but also that broad range of duties for in-house legal counsel and legal departments. And to share that insight, I'm very pleased to have as my guest Michael Sullivan, an attorney and a partner in the corporate and business practice group at Taylor English Duma, a highly respected uh, Atlanta-based law firm. Welcome to the Business Hour, Michael. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me here. Now, um, Michael, do your clients refer to you as Michael, Mike, Mr. (laughs) Sullivan? Yeah, as my dad used to say, you call me anything but late for dinner, right? So <laughs> it's all of the above, but usually it's Mike. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, Mike, before we get into the work that you perform uh, directly and uh, with your uh, personal clients, let's talk a little bit about Taylor English Duma, which um, is referred to um, by most as Taylor English uh, and henceforth uh, referred to as Taylor Eng- English during the program. As I mentioned, um, Taylor English is a, is a highly respected law firm. Uh, it's, it's become um, a very uh, formidable uh, law firm in a relatively short period of time, uh, experiencing significant uh, uh, growth over the last uh, couple of years. Tell us a little right. bit about the firm, uh, about that growth, about uh, your uh, role within the, the, uh, the firm, and about some of the, the specialties of the firm. Sure. Hey, thanks. Um, So our firm was started um, nine years ago uh, by four lawyers from one of the large uh, downtown Atlanta firms. And what they were all about, the purpose of the firm was to service small and mid-sized companies because, unfortunately, um, the world has gotten so complicated. There's so many laws out there. They needed big firm legal services but couldn't afford it. And so that was sort of the the, the void that they were trying to fill. And... um, so they started it nine years ago. I was the 10th lawyer to join, and we've been very blessed with good fortune. We now have 140 lawyers, and our, our goal all along was to be a full-service corporate-slash-business law firm, which means that a small business owner or a mid-sized company could come to us sort of one-stop shopping, so to speak. You know, we've got real estate, employment law, intellectual property uh, just a uh, straightforward corporate business. In fact, let me interrupt you, yeah. Mike, because uh, I, I happen to have a list here, and I'm not sure you, you know you're going to uh, be able to recite mm-hmm. this litany: aviation, construction, corporate and business, creditors' rights, bankruptcy, data security and privacy, employee benefits and executive compensation, employment, labor and immigration, environmental and energy, family-owned and closely held businesses, financial institutions, intellectual properties. Uh, lending, workout, and foreclosure, litigation and dispute resolution, public interest and advocacy, real estate, lending and finance, resort, hotel, and hospitality, and, and taxation. Um, and I, I might add, uh, 
I don't know if I see I see family owned closely held business, but uh, estate uh, estate planning, uh, estate yeah, planning. Yeah, absolutely. So right. so you know, can continue on. Tell us a little bit about uh, the firm and, and yeah. whether there's so, anything so in that list. That yeah, no, I mean we are exact. That was the goal from the very beginning to have that broad suite of legal services that we could provide. And the bigger we got, the more uh, area practice areas we call it we could add. I, I should say the business model for the firm is to take lawyers from the big downtown firms or even national firms, pardon me, with 10 to 25 years' experience and bring them in from big firms, provide big firm legal services, basically at small law firm fees. And uh, and that's obviously the market really uh, likes that model. And, um, you know, we've been very successful and blessed with, you know, growth, and we continue to grow. But, but there's no one particular area I think that dominates. We probably have the largest employment group of lawyers in the city for a full-service firm. Um, most most uh, days today you have to go to a boutique law, uh, law firm for employment service, but we have 20 employment lawyers, for example. So, so And they're all experienced. And so when you retain a lawyer at Taylor English, if I can put another plug in, you're getting a lawyer with 10 to 25 years' experience, not a, not a two or third, you know, second or third year lawyer. And so it's a great value proposition. Well, you know, one of the reoccurring themes uh, today is going to be this notion of a legal team. And, right. and the other reason that I wanted to have you as a guest is I, I, I was aware that you had a broad background. Uh, both on the private practice side and as legal counsel with smaller to medium-sized businesses, but also with large uh, corporations domestically, internationally. Just a, a very broad range of experience in that you'd be able to address a lot of these different areas. And I will apologize to listeners, but I am going to read from a, uh, a short bio um, this this long list of, of uh, areas of expertise, and it includes helping clients to grow their business and their profits through a variety of transactions, including complex non-disclosure agreements, employment <coughs> and non-compete agreements, buy-sell agreements, uh, and a range of business and commercial agreements and contracts. You, uh, you have general corporate uh, expertise, commercial and business matter, family business law, financial matters, mergers and <coughs> acquisitions, I know, is a, is a significant area. You advise both for-profit and non-profit clients. You've represented startups, uh, growth-oriented and mature company clients. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the, the difference between a, uh, a, a startup, a growth, and a mature uh, company and, 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 and how they have different needs. You've worked in international market uh, international markets. You've worked with CPAs and tax experts to advise on on legal structure uh, related to international markets. Uh, you've negotiated and closed numerous cross border transactions for clients. Well, we can touch on that. You've represented clients in private placements for equity and debt securities, venture capital investments, project finance, joint venture transactions, and you've assisted family owned clients in establishing advisory boards and in planning and implementing success in, in real estate planning. And actually, before uh, uh, the program's over, we'll, we'll mention a, a succession planning and exit planning uh, presentation that you'll be taking part in um, uh, next month, mm-hmm. or rather in September and October, uh, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, so, Mike, is there a, a focus within that broad range um, through the years 
or has it been uh, a, a balance of, of all those different areas? And uh, if we were to take a look at your um, your schedule today, is are there one or two areas that, that just happen to uh, to dominate your schedule? Yeah. What? Well, by the way, thank you for reading that. My mother couldn't have said it better. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So no, my practice. Uh, the irony is that I spent most of my. Uh, I, first of all, let me go back just a little bit. Uh, started with a big Wall Street law firm. And um, and then uh, took a position inside one of their clients, and it became an inside lawyer, uh, and was an inside lawyer for several years, until I came back to private practice in 2004. But um, and ironically, I was w- mostly with large corporations. Today, my client base is really small and mid-sized cl- companies, and and really, um, it gives me lots of satisfaction because, um, as as good as I think our law firm is, and 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 modestly, uh, I think I'm a decent lawyer. Um, a large company um, doesn't need my legal services or our legal services as much as a small and mid-sized company does. We can have much more of an impact with a small and mid-sized company that doesn't have an inside legal department, right? And and a lot of us will have that broad business experience. We have 10 of my colleagues were former general counsels of small and mid-sized companies. So we spent a lot of time inside companies, and you start looking at legal matters differently. You have more of a sort of a business overlay, if you would. It's not just an academic legal uh, matter. So, so uh, But basically mine is a very broad uh, practice. You know, uh, I read a contract last night. Um, uh, I'm helping a, uh, a client. Um, he's they're designing uh, a foundry uh, for um, a European company that's coming into the United States. Um, <clears throat> I have another client that's uh, in a joint venture that's not working out very well, so we're trying to sort of um, dissolve the joint venture. So it's a very broad, um, it's a very broad practice. M and A probably is the one that probably dominates the most. And by that, I mean buying and selling companies for clients. And, right. you know, and I want to get into <clears throat> to M&A and the, the, the range of uh, transactions that, have, that, that fall under the right. umbrella of M&A, um, at least legally. But uh, you mentioned um, that you feel like it's small to medium-sized companies, uh, which, which let's define that for a moment. For the purposes of, <clears throat> of your practice, what, yeah. what would fall in the range yeah, of small to medium? Yeah, you know, there medium? is no... Um, Accepted definition of a small and mid-sized company, but I I think most people would say that a small company is probably um, twenty-five million dollars in revenue and less. Um, and and then when you get over twenty-five, fifty, you're starting to get into the the bottom tier of the mid-sized companies. And when they could go as high as up to five hundred million dollars, I think would still be considered a mid-sized company, but a big mid-sized company, right? And at that point, they're going into the large company scheme. Uh, and, sphere. and you mentioned that uh, you can have uh, a greater impact, which you know, for a lot of professionals, uh, you, you want to have relationships with your clients where you feel like you're making a difference and exactly. and helping them succeed. Right. You know, the thought occurred to me while I was uh, preparing a, a list of questions that, you know, the role of a good attorney and a good legal team uh, for a a business that isn't necessarily a startup, although it, it, it could be a, a startup, but a smaller company who has engaged an attorney once or twice, maybe early on in incorporating, maybe a little bit later and setting up some uh, charter within the company for establishing a board or uh, something very basic. 
Meeting with your attorney and meeting with your CPA is about as much fun as meeting with your dentist for some people. It's sometimes worse, right? <laughs> well, and, and you know, I could imagine. Yes, no, no question about it. Uh, but uh, if you can pull together a, a, a good, strong um, legal structure, if you will, or at least a, a, a mechanism for engaging um, your CPA on a regular basis as an advisor, your uh, attorney um, as an advisor, my guess is that, you know, if we can borrow that uh, crude analogy again, much like the dentist does some things which if he keeps your uh, your mouth and your teeth uh, healthy, uh, you can avoid seeing him for major right. work yeah. uh, moving forward and, you know, up to a decade or two. And um, <clears throat> tell me if I'm wrong. If you work with your attorneys, uh, can you help a company actually recognize in advance and advise on some potential pitfalls and uh you know assuming and people forget that attorneys are like business people who want to have a trusted relationship uh not overstepped the 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 boundaries of that trust and advise in such a way that the client uh doesn't really want to have much to do with you moving forward but rather feels like you always have their best interests at heart as a business so is it true that you're 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 able to um, help them structure things, uh, oftentimes in advance, that that avoids problems down the road and sets them up for healthier growth? Yeah. So I really listen. If you're a small businessman just starting out, or even an early stage company, you've got very limited financial resources. You should not be spending a lot of that on legal matters. But there is sort of a basic foundation that they should put in place, because I, I have unfortunately several. Um, small clients that have not done that and uh, it's cost them a lot of money uh, to get out of the, the, well, the you problems know, they've created. I'm so, going to have you yeah. tell me what that, that basic foundation okay. is. We're wow. going to be taking a break here, but when we come back with Mike Sullivan, uh, he's going to tell us more about uh, his role in helping his clients as an attorney, um, small uh, businesses and large corporate clients. We'll be back with Mike Sullivan right after this break. For years, Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center has been providing outstanding care to patients of all ages. They are dedicated to patient satisfaction and have been the recipient of the Georgia Otolaryngology Association Patient Satisfaction Award. They welcome any questions you may have about their services. Their practice includes treatment of asthma, allergies, sleep apnea, snoring, hearing impairments, and chronic sinus disease. Dr. Elena George is a board-certified ear, nose, and throat surgeon. Her training in New York has included training at Manhattan Eye, Ear, and Throat Hospital and Memorial Sloan. Kettering Cancer Center. She believes in practicing both the art and science of medicine. All patients are seen by Dr. George. All treatment options are discussed, and time will be spent to answer all questions. Their office is located in Atlanta at 1776 Peachtree Road in Suite 260 North Tower, two blocks south of Piedmont Hospital. They are open Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. until 4 p.m. Additional details are available at www.peachtreeentcenter.com. At Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center, you can be confident that you are in good hands with their professional team. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Membership. Are you an IHC member? Access to the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's Breaking News 
industry trends, expert blogs, and networking with IHC's industry-wide member community. IHC membership puts you at the focal point of the dynamic health and benefit industry, allowing you to join the conversation and collaborate with industry stakeholders and your peers. Your IHC membership includes a subscription to Healthcare Consumerism Solutions Magazine, Healthcare Exchange Solutions Magazine, Annual Publications Healthcare Solutions Superstars, and Healthcare Solutions Outlook, a free white paper, and much more. Sign up as a free IHC member or $99 premium IHC member today at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with attorney Mike Sullivan of the Taylor English Law Firm, and we've been talking about the kinds of services that attorneys in general, as well as the services that Mike specifically offers to his clients um, related to a whole range of uh, transactions, uh, contracts, um, uh, investment, project uh, finance, uh, joint venture, uh, transitions, uh, and and we'll get into some of those uh, specific areas. But before the break, we were talking about how a good attorney or a good legal team, but, but in the early stages when you, you, you can't uh, really afford, quote-unquote, a legal team and you have a good attorney, uh, you can lay a foundation, um, a structure that might help you avoid problems uh, down the road. And uh, I wanted Mike to, to talk a little bit about uh, how you would describe that foundation. Sure. So um, just as sort of background, we recently started a um, within the firm a uh, startup and early-stage practice group. Right, and focusing on just what we're talking about, new companies or uh, companies that are one year to uh, two years old. And, and we have uh, what we call a startup company in a box, right? It's the basic, the absolute basic uh, that every company start uh, organizer needs. Um, and then as they grow, they can add other modules to it, right? Um, but the basic, the basic, um, you know, the program is we advise them as to what structure it should be. Should it be a sub-S company? Should it be a limited liability company? Those sort of things. Once, and that some of that's tax-driven. Uh, and once they've done, they've uh, sort of made that decision. Um, we advise them. We form the company for them. Um, everybody has to have an employee identification number from the IRS. Yeah, we get that for them. And, and and here's the part that that really I think a lot of them sort of. Um, don't pay enough attention to. If there's more than one owner, then they really need to have a buy-sell agreement or a shareholder agreement because, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, when they're starting out, everything is great, it's going to be wonderful, and we're going to do this forever. And, And unfortunately, a lot of times it doesn't work that way. And one of them wants to leave or just, you know, when maybe they're just, you know, the chemistry's not right, whatever. And, um, and, and we see that a lot. We call it a business divorce. It's like a marriage that, that you have to dissolve it. And if there's not a sort of a roadmap in place, which sort of tells the two owners if one wants to get out, what the, what the guidelines are for that, you know, whether he has to sell to the other partner the other owner or to a third party, well, how you value the, the company, the shares, that sort of thing. And, and that is, I see that as 
probably the biggest mistake that small companies uh, owners make. They don't have that in place. Well, I can imagine potentially that it, it is as uh, amiable or as ugly yeah. as as actual yeah. uh, marriage exactly. di- right. divorces right. as mm-hmm. are. Um, uh, I know from conversations with friends that uh, uh, it, it doesn't even take uh, anything drastic like uh, embezzlement of funds or, or anything of that nature. Just profound disagreements about the direction of the business you know how the business is run and uh and uh, it, and and if you don't have something in place um i would imagine it could get very expensive to to, yeah, to yeah, resolve no, ab- absolutely yeah, we uh, unfortunately we had a um uh, we still have a client but it was a three member uh, limited liability company and unfortunately there was a falling out to uh, one of the one of the members um just wanted to go do something else, and and there was no uh, there was no this is an LLC. There's no operating agreement or any buy sell agreement in place, and so things really got emotional, and people started digging in, and then they, they ended up in litigation to try to resolve it because they couldn't agree on a buyout. And, and to be honest with you, it cost it cost the clients over a hundred thousand dollars in litigation fees. Before they got to a point where they actually agreed on a buyout. And basically they were structured to be a limited liability corporation, so they were limiting liabilities which were more external, and and yet the liabilities became internal. Yeah, and it's just, look, you can do a buy-sell very inexpensively. You know, it doesn't have to be, it could be a two- or three-page document, but... It's it's worth uh, it's worth a lot more than what it costs to put it in place. It establishes the the ground rules up front for what you're going to yeah, do yeah. when that time comes. And, and frankly, right, a lot of business owners those are sensitive issues. You, you know, you're you're just getting married and you're talking about divorce, right? You, you know, so it's a very difficult it's like prenuptial agreements yeah, yeah, are, are exactly. Are Thank you. Very That's touchy. A good analogy. It's very touchy and it's very sensitive and and. Um, so we and we understand that there's very some sensitive issues here, and we try to be very um, understanding of that, right, and in, just sort of guide them along that path. In fact, I, I know that uh, marriage divorce is not one of your uh, areas of uh, expertise, but uh, but you're somewhat familiar, and uh, it, it would seem to me that you hear about prenuptial agreements being um, standard procedure particularly in relationships where there's uh, significant wealth and where there's maybe significant net worth on both sides, uh, you know, the man and the woman uh, right. or the, yeah. the two men, the two women, the two partners uh, want to uh, secure their personal assets and have some understanding about uh, right. what the liability would yeah. be. Hey, the other mistake that I see a lot of uh, small companies making, it's primarily in the technology area. They're they're developing intellectual property, right? And they and typically they do not have an employment agreement or any kind of a contract in place among themselves or their employees. Who right? owns the invention, right? right. Uh, exactly. Right. If they're a W two employee, there's one set of uh, legal guidelines for that. If they're an, a ten ninety nine or an independent contractor, you better have a contract in place with them as to who owns the intellectual property they're developing. Because if you don't, they own it. Right, and and so there's that's another mistake I see a lot of small companies make in the technology area. And again, it doesn't take much to put a two-page employment agreement in place that has a confidentiality clause. It has a clause in there that says uh, talks about who owns the intellectual property that this employee is developing for the company. Not to mention when you have outsourced uh, partners uh, that are the source of uh, uh, an intellectual property. You have to have uh, an understanding and agreement about uh, 
when the uh, the company is buying the uh, the concept and owning the concept or not. Right, it, yeah, it no, very no, well I, can be that an independent uh, 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 industrial designer uh, who holds the patent could still own uh, the concept, uh, and the the company does not. But by agreement, it could be the reverse. The company, it's understood that the company owns the intellectual property, the the patented idea, and not the originator. Is that yeah, right? No, no, that's true. And, and you know, today it's. Uh, there's outsourcing uh, of what we used to think were critical functions that could never go outside or being outsourced. Uh, a lot of companies are almost virtual companies. Uh, you know, there's a core um, of, of knowledge or expertise that they have, but they look to outside firms or companies for bringing in some of the key pieces of uh, intellectual property, for example. And and they, they should be sure that they have a contract in place with those outsourced companies to make sure that the company that they own owns that intellectual property. So well, it's, it's a big issue. You can absolutely tell me you'll uh, you'll get back to me on 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 something, Mike, um, because we don't like to play uh, stump our guest. Except that I know that uh, the area of intellectual properties has become a uh, a specialty within uh, the the legal uh, field. Um, but I'm curious uh, about. Um, are there now standardized agreements so that as an employer um, you can have an understanding with with me for example as an independent supplier of industrial design we'll say that um, you know once I make the first payment or cross over a certain threshold of compensation I own uh, the idea supplied to us yeah most experienced lawyers and I would say we have all experienced intellectual property lawyers at our firm even the corporate some of the corporate slash business lawyers um, have templates that they use. It's not you know you're not starting with a clean piece of paper, right, and a pencil. You've got a template, so it's it's relatively inexpensive. You know you have to customize a little bit, but ninety percent of it is pretty standard boilerplate, and the other ten percent you have to customize for your particular company, right, and situation. Um, you know I I want to. Uh, <clears throat> get into this one area that uh, I know represents a, a, a large part of the, the work that you do, and that is uh, uh, mergers and acquisitions. Um, but, but actually, uh, before we get into that, because typically M&A, mergers and acquisitions, is an area dedicated to uh, larger companies, not strictly uh, for uh, the, the, the mega corporations. Um, tell us a little bit about how um, you differentiate between what is considered to be business law and corporate law. Yeah, yeah no, that's true. And we, we tend to use those terms interchangeably, and there is a slight difference. Corporate law is more internally focused on the company, you know, whether you, you, know, you, um, whether you have a good um, a set of bylaws, uh, whether you've, um, you've got a buy-sell agreement in place, whether you have employment agreements, you know, that sort of, sort of internal internal legal issues. Um, commercial uh, and business law tends to be more outside focused. It's, it's your relationship with your suppliers, with your customers, with these outside third parties that you're outsourcing some of your functions. That's sort of, that's sort of as I would look upon it, as sort of the business law. And that's sort of a, a very, from 10,000 feet, uh, how I would distinguish the two. Well, and it makes yeah. perfect sense that, uh, that, that uh, when you're talking about transacting business, you're talking about uh, business to business or business to consumer, uh, and that uh, when you have corporate structures, 
there's an entire complex body of law or at least uh, guidelines established by a company, um, oftentimes by the legal department or by an attorney to help you uh, deal with matters that can get really complex, like that whole area of employment uh, law, which I know has become major um, because um, when it comes to uh, the rights of employees, versus the uh, the company uh, and then you attach compensation to it uh, it gets uh, gets very complicated yeah it does get complicated and again uh, as a company matures and gets bigger the, the by necessity their legal issues become uh, you know become um, greater a bit, there are more of them and they get more important to them right uh, which right. which brings to mind this one question which I'll have you answer when we come back and then we will get into uh, areas of uh, mergers and acquisitions, but it's it's the uh, the question of at what point. Um, and I know there's no single uh, point uh, in in time uh, in the the growth of a company uh, when it's time to add a in-house legal counsel. But we'll talk a little yeah, bit sure. about what right. what you think uh, is a generally uh, um, acceptable consideration in when you add an attorney to your staff. We're here with Mike Sullivan of Taylor English. We've been talking about various aspects of business law and corporate law, and we'll be back with Mike Sullivan right after this break. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and listen to The Doctor's Lounge, where you get a private insight into the conversations that doctors have amongst themselves. Join us Thursday, 8 a.m. every week. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we've been talking with Mike Sullivan, an attorney with Taylor English based here in Atlanta that offers a very broad range of services to its clients, as does my client, Mike Sullivan, uh, who has a very extensive uh, background in in areas uh, ranging from employment and non-compete agreements, buy-sell agreements, uh, commercial agreements and contracts, non-disclosure agreements, uh, helping companies uh, as they enter international markets, cross-border transactions, family-owned uh, uh, businesses and uh, establishing of advisory boards, planning and implementing succession and, re- and estate plan- plans. Uh, and we'll get into some of that, but uh, just before the break, um, I had posed this uh, this question um, to, for Mike to, 
to ponder and then share with us a little bit of insight, and that is, you know, w- when is a time for a, a, a company, uh, whether it's number numbers of employees uh, uh, or uh, revenue, uh, when does it become prudent for a, a company to consider uh, having an in-house uh, legal counsel uh, as opposed to using outside uh, legal um, support? Sure. Yeah, and obviously it varies, but I would say that in general it's it's a couple of things. It's, um, it's sort of a cost-benefit analysis. In other words, how much am I spending in legal fees on an annual basis? Would it be less expensive for me to have to pay a lawyer, an inside lawyer, uh, the the, uh, the caveat I would have is sometimes when you have an inside lawyer, your legal budget increases because they see a lot of things that should be done that aren't being done, and some of which need to be done. The other thing is um, if, you, if you're the company owner um, and you want more uh, internal ownership of your legal matters because they've gotten to the point where um, it's taking up just a lot of your management time, dealing with the outside lawyers, you'd rather sort of off, you know, offload that to someone else inside the company. Uh, to sort of play that role, right? So, but you know, my rule of thumb is once a company gets to be fifty million dollars or so in revenue, and again, very broadly speaking, fifty certainly at a hundred million, I think they can they can pretty well justify from a financial point of view having an inside lawyer. And um, you know, that's been my experience. Well, you know, you you mentioned you know when it gets to the point where uh, you feel like you're you're overburdened as a chief executive officer or a company president. Uh, or one of the uh, senior C-suite folks like a chief operating officer, you, you, you become overwhelmed uh, with legal matters. Uh, I remember when I first started my company when um, many years back that um, there was uh, more to uh, taxation and um, health care than I ever wanted to know. You know, I I, I wished I had an HR person, uh, uh, and uh, fortunately, you know, uh, attorneys and um, CPAs and uh, healthcare uh, uh, advisors uh, were were around, um, but uh, you you get to a point where um, you really want someone on staff uh, that's there, sort of at least nine to five and twenty four seven, which you can get with uh, an attorney on the outside. And in fact, my guess is, Mike, that you might even play the role. Much as there are uh, financial advisors these days that that, that play that role of uh, de facto um, outsourced part-time to almost full-time CFO, um, you you probably play somewhat that role for some of your clients as their uh, legal counsel, but still uh, an outside attorney. Yeah, no, no, that's true. That's true. But uh, even as that agreed, I do sort of act as a de facto. Um, counsel for the company um but but even at some point even as well as i think i i take that responsibility and and take it seriously um at some point um it's just from a cost benefit point of view it makes sense to have somebody inside um but 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 yeah and quite often what you'll see is the ceo president will will pass the legal matters over to the cfo or the controller right and that's fine. That works for a long period of time. But even at that point, the controller CFO is starting to spend half his or her time on legal matters and not what they should be doing. They're really, you know, their day job. 
And so, so it gets into that dynamic, you know, and it's, it's hard to know where the crossover point is, but at some point it becomes very obvious. Right? Well, you know, I could imagine that, they, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I could imagine uh, in a situation where there's an attorney that works with a law firm where there is significant and a broad range of expertise, uh, and that attorney who is acting as the de facto uh, legal counsel uh, becomes the point person for other resources within the firm, and the better that point person is, um, the more resourceful they can be in cost-effectively engaging tax experts, intellectual property experts, right. employment right. Uh, experts, um, which is what the in-house counsel would have to do anyway, right? Sure. We're still working yeah. with a, right. yeah. an outside firm. Yeah. So, so my guess is is that when you're playing that role uh, with the best interests of the clients, you can um, uh, assemble a, a team and, and, and act as that yeah. point person. Yeah. So. And one of the benefits of our business model for our law firm is most of the corporate slash business lawyers, many of us have been inside as well. We have a good sort of a general, we're all general practitioners, but deep in some particular areas. And so all of us sort of act as that sort of outside general counsel, if you would. And we have a, a fairly broad knowledge of, uh, of legal matters. But if we get deep into something that I'm way over my head, I, I, I can I can pull in another specialist from somewhere else in the law firm, right? And it's just they come in, they work on that particular matter, and then they're off, right? So it, it really works well. We've got all of this reservoir of uh, legal talent. And um, I think I may have mentioned this to you. Um, we have a broad set of legal services that I think would satisfy most small and mid-sized companies. And I've said to a prospective client the other day, if you're building a pipeline across Siberia, we're probably not the right law firm for you. <laughs> but if you're just, uh, you know, a, a U.S. company doing business in the United States, a little bit of international business, we're perfect for you. you right. Know? If the pipeline yeah. already exists and you want to do business <laughs> with the company that owns the pipeline. Well, no, that's, pipeline. that's such a complex, complicated <laughs> project from a legal point of view that, you know, we don't have that expertise. Right. But we have – we can – we can probably do most other things. Um, I think this analogy of, of being a general practitioner is probably one that a lot of lay people can uh, can can grasp easily. Uh, and I, I see you much in that role as a general practitioner with sort of a specialty in internal medicine, so to speak. You know, <laughs> so that you right. can advise on on um, general matters of of health, but bringing in the uh, the respiratory specialist, the cardiac specialist, the cardiopulmonary, the right. uh, yeah. you know the orthopedist, what have you, you know, yeah, bringing well, in the specialist. Yeah, I'm going to give you a perfect example. Um, so I I, I was uh, fortunate to get a new client recently, and um, so in the first week of uh, our our relationship, um, they had a wage and hour investigation by the Department of Labor. I brought in one of my specialists to work that. Um, they had. Unfortunately, they were um, in a patent infringement lawsuit. I brought in uh, the head of our intellectual property patent prosecution um, to, to work on that, and um, they had some other business issues that we were able to help them with. So, so it's it's uh, you know, and it's just an amazing. Another example. Sorry to belabor this point. I helped the client sell their business uh, back in April, and um, we had employment issues that I pulled in a uh, employment lawn. We had intellectual property issues, we had environmental issues, and we had real estate issues. And I basically formed an ad hoc team of people to uh, sort of deal with those as they came up very late in the transaction, just before closing. 
and I was very pleased when the when the owner after the closing we were shaking hands and he said Mike the you know the best decision I ever made was to hire you know your law firm so that was that, that made me feel good well, we well, were very responsive and had that breadth of of expertise right? that that would seem to be what I was referring to when I said that an outside attorney with a um, set of resources within the firm someone you trust who in turn has people that you trust right. because you even have options in some cases within your firm where you might have two uh, experts right. a, a, in right. an area and there's just somebody you, you prefer to work with but it, it becomes the assembly of yeah, a team you know, it's, it, you know it's not one size fits all you know I, I, there, there are different personalities among everybody including groups of lawyers and so uh, you know I, I will choose a, uh, one of my specialists who I think will have the good the right chemistry for the client you know, again, it's uh, some some lawyers will work well with clients and some won't. But you know, as Abe Lincoln said, you can't please all the people all the time, and some lawyers will not please all the clients all the time. So you have to sort of uh, be flexible. And, and, and I think good chemistry matters. Uh, it, it actually uh, the working relationship oh, absolutely. can make a, yeah. a a big difference in whether or not you uh, reach agreement on something or or, yeah, or you don't. Yeah. You know, frankly, Rod, small business owners. They don't want to hear the legal theory behind all of this. They just want to know, you know, define the issue for me. Excuse me. Tell me what my options are. If there's three options, give me the pros and cons of each one. Tell me what your recommendation is, and then I'll make a decision. But, they, you know, they don't want a 10-page memo, uh, a legal analysis. You know, they just, they just want to know a little bit of what the legal issues are and then, you know, really get down to pragmatic, practical solutions, right? So... Let's talk for a moment about uh, mergers and acquisitions because I know that M&A is an area that's near and dear to you. Um, and along the lines of acting as a point person, um, the area of, of M&A is one where there are teams of people, um, you know, ranging from accountants uh, to, to tax uh, uh, specialists. Uh, let's <coughs> talk a little bit about uh, what you typically do with some of your clients under that umbrella of, of uh, mergers and acquisitions. Sure. Yeah, a lot of the clients, as you probably know, um, it's, um, you know, they're usually in their late 50s and their 60s and they're looking to sell their company or or even buy a company. But but more more popular today is, is um, the baby boomers, um, you know, thinking about retiring and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, there's it's sort of a there's not one professional that you that they should rely on. It's sort of a team uh, approach. They need to have uh, first of all, they have to have a good tax person. They have a, a good tax CPA is absolutely critical because the, the, it's not how much you get at closing; it's how much you get to take home, right, uh, after paying taxes, and that's a key element here. And then if they're going to have a good payday, so to speak, at the closing and get a nice, you know, um, you know, a nice uh, amount of money, they need to have a financial planner that's going to tell them, you know, where they should be investing that so that, uh, you know, they'll have a nice retirement. And, um, you know, and then you, if you're a big enough company, you probably need, uh, there are some folks that specialize in succession planning and estate planning. Uh, which is key. Um, a good a good trust and estate lawyer is is key as well because you want again it's, that's very tax driven and you want to make sure what you leave behind that you leave behind as much as you can for your your spouse or your kids or your grandkids right. So it's sort of a team and then you, a good experienced M and A meaning somebody who buys and sells companies. Now you need a good M and A lawyer because. Again, there are some unique legal issues involved with a uh, sale of a company or buying of a company, and you just need somebody who has done it before. 
Right. You know, we, we, we touched on um, putting together teams of people where there's good chemistry. And uh, from my understanding, um, I think it makes a big difference uh, if you have a team of people that both parties um, like and respect um, or respect being first and foremost, but if it's an agreeable group of folks, uh, you, you can arrive at, a, at an agreeable um, buying price and a selling price. You know, things can be made yeah, much yeah. more uh, win-win-like uh, with the right team uh, than with the wrong team. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's, um, as you say, it's a transaction that most business owners only go through once in, in their life. It's very stressful. It's very tense. So it's, it's not... Um, when you close, that's a great experience, but to get to the closing is can be painful. And I think it's, you know, I think it's really important for the the professional service providers to make that as painless as they can. And I think, you know, my, uh, again, just working well together and everybody being on the same page. And and you gotta, uh, you know, my client, the seller, there, there's some give and take there. I know, it, what, you know, I know how much he or she wants for the company. But, there, you know, there's an element of risk involved and some other issues there that go into valuing a company, and they need to understand that. And we're right. actually going to touch on a couple of those, Mike, because I want to drill down and yeah. have you right. talk a little bit about the upcoming uh, presentation that you're going to be a part of, um, talking about uh, mergers and acquisitions and transition planning. We're here with Mike Sullivan, attorney at, for Taylor English. We'll be back with Mike Sullivan right after this break. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options, such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Mike Sullivan, an attorney with Taylor English, an Atlanta-based firm that offers a broad range of legal services to its clients, as does my guest, Mike Sullivan, uh, who has a vast range of experience on many different business uh, law uh, matters, corporate law matters. We were talking about mergers and acquisitions just before the break. 
And I wanted Mike to to, to share a little bit of, with us about an upcoming. And you know, I I don't want this to sound like uh, an infomercial because it's not. It's really Mike shedding light on the field of uh, business law and corporate law. But at the same time. Mike is going to be a part of a team of folks that will be presenting um, on the area related to this vast wave of businesses which we're about to to see um, being sold, you know, as aging baby boomers uh, in the United States uh, are attempting to realize their investment on their businesses and and in some cases uh, almost viewing the selling of their business as the bequeathing of 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 a, 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 a of a business to to buyers so that it goes in the right hands because a lot of people forget that when uh, a uh, a business owner uh, or a uh, a group of executives are ready to uh, transition on and um, and sell a business maybe the hard hearted don't care about uh, who, to whom the business is sold and the potential for the business to be uh, dismantled. But we're talking about lots of people. We're talking about people's lives. And many executives, uh, many business owners do want their employees to be working for somebody um, that is uh, sensitive to uh, sustaining the business uh, because they spent so many years forming that very business. So you have uh, money and people uh, involved, and you have taxation and compensation and, uh, you know, buying and selling. Um, Tell us a little bit about the upcoming um, session that um, you'll be a part of um, that's going to be at Callaway Gardens, which I think is a great setting for... uh, for people to sort of relax and, and learn more about uh, um, this, as I I said, this this massive wave that's a, that you know that is coming right. because of the age of uh, baby yeah. boomers who will be yeah, selling. Again, I don't want this to be sound like an infomercial as well, but so I'll, I'll talk l- less about the event and why we're having the event, okay. right, which is the baby boomer. Um, this wave of baby boomers that are coming through, and many of them own businesses. I mean, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's an unbelievable number of companies in the United States, the small, the mid-sized companies that are owned by baby boomers, and they're in their mid-60s now, um, and they're starting to think about retirement, right? And uh, and this is probably the most important business decision they'll make in their lifetime. We're, right? we're talking about hundreds of billions here yeah, yeah, in yeah. assets. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's like a, a trillion dollar worth of, uh, of, of uh, total revenue owned by baby boomers, right? And it's just an it's going to be, we're already starting to see it. Uh, you know, this year already I've had five, I've done five sales of companies, right? And they were all by baby boomers, right, in their 60s. Um, and, and one of them that comes to mind is, um, you know, he had built this company from almost his garage, right, into a nice-sized company doing about 10 or $15 million a year. He had paid himself modestly for 30 years, you know, that didn't didn't have an airplane and a big boat, and he was selling his company. And um, and, and I was really pleased that he had a, a good result, and now his retirement is set. And he's, put his, he's invested wisely with the money that he got in the closing, and, um, and he's got a little bit of what we call an earn-out, 
uh, some more money to come, depending on how well the company does after he sold it. Uh, and, and you know that's that's a great result, right? But so so this presentation out at Callaway Gardens, it's a half day on a Friday in uh, late September and another one late October. It is sort of the, the audience should be owners of small and mid-sized companies who are at a point where they are thinking of selling to retire, and and there's just so many elements that go into that, and there's so many um, team members that they should be thinking about, as I mentioned earlier. A good tax person slash CPA, you know, a financial planner, um, you know, uh, M and A lawyer, that sort of thing. But but the, you know the, the the process, and they can't they can't wake up one morning and say I think I'll sell my company next week, right? That doesn't happen that way. What well, one thing they need to find someone, whether it's a, a CPA or someone who specializes, just like a small business broker or an investment banker that can come in and do sort of the audit and say, look, um, I think your company is worth about this much today, but if you do these three things, it'll be worth X, you know, something, you know, another 50% more. Now, whether it's um, uh, they've got a customer dependence that's a concern to a buyer, whether they don't have a strong enough management team, you know, you know those sort of things. Right, and, and in fact, yeah, the, right. the, the, uh, the, the attendee for this, uh, although they could be a, uh, a baby boomer who's uh, around the age of 65 and distinctly thinking, I want to retire very soon, <laughs> we could be talking about someone who's uh, a 50-something that needs to be looking down the road because, as you say, yeah. there may be yeah. things that need to be done over the next few years to put them in a more favorable position. Yeah, it, typically it's a year-to-two-year process, you know, you know to, to sort of um, – um, you want to position the company where it has the greatest value to a buyer, right? And then that's another question that comes up. Who should the buyer, where's where the most likely buyer coming from? Is it going to be a competitor? It could be somebody who's not in this business, that industry, wants to get into the business. A strategic buyer that wants to bolt on another division or another company or even a private equity group. or A, a group capital. of employees? Yeah, yeah exactly. We have um, one of my partners, Denny Summers, is one of the premier ESOP lawyers in the southeast. Um, ESOP meaning employee stock ownership, uh, and that works very well. There's a lot of there's a lot of benefits to that. It doesn't work for every situation, but but there's tremendous tax benefits to um, doing an ESOP in which the, the the owner has to can sell in stages and phases. The first phase should be 30 percent in order to get the maximum tax benefit. So there's a range of options there that they really need to understand and explore. And there are some very, very, very large privately held companies, you know, in the in the in the multi-billion dollar uh, Mm -hmm. revenue um, uh, category. Um, When uh, those are families, uh, is it families who uh, could benefit (laughs) from sessions like these? No, absolutely. Uh, And by the way, this um, the. the presentation down at Callaway Gardens is the um, is you, when you pay the fee. I think it's two hundred sixty nine dollars for the half day seminar. It's for two people because we want the owner of the company to bring his or her spouse or maybe their number two person, right? Um, and, and so that you know, you, you know, it is a joint decision, and there's a lot of things that go into that. Do you want do you want to pass it down to your kids? Are they in the business? There's a whole bunch of tax issues and succession planning there. Or, or do you I, want to, I'm you certain know? that that one yeah. issue alone, yeah. Mike, is is one of great um, uh, consternation in some cases about 
to uh, pass it down within the family yeah. or not to pass it down yeah, within and, the family. Yeah, and, and again, that's almost like we talked earlier about the buy-sell. It's very sensitive issues. If you have more than one child in the business, what role are they going to play once the owner, you know, the, the father or the mother who owns the company steps out? You know, so there's some real issues there, and there's some, a lot of tax issues as well. But So th- these are all things that take time to sort of work through before you come. The owner becomes comes to a decision about, okay, I'm going down this road. You know, um, so so anyway, it's a process. Well, I'm I'm just going to say that yeah. the, that these two sessions uh, are uh, Friday, September 26th, Friday, October 24th, and that uh, you can go to www.taylorenglish.com and then uh, just input Mike Sullivan uh, under attorneys, and uh, Mike will direct you to f- yeah. the folks that will give yeah, you more information. Absolutely. Yeah, the the other participants are uh, Phil Beatty. He's with Signature FD. Um, it's a, an investment firm, and he does succession planning. Uh, nice, a nice combination. Steve Capizzi, who uh, also specializes in um, in helping um, small business owners, mid-sized business owners, sort of transition through this process. So um, we've got a great team, and it's it's good. They can come down. They get a discounted rate on the room. They can uh, stay for the weekend and you know go to the gardens or play golf. It's it's really a, sort of a nice breakaway. One last question, Mike. Yes. Um, any advice for a, uh, a student uh, out there that is thinking about a career in law or for a law student who hasn't yet declared a, yeah. Uh, yeah. a specialization? Yeah, the legal profession has changed a lot in the last five or ten years. There, there, uh, to be honest with you, there were too many lawyers coming out of law school, and so there's, um, there's, there's less needed out there. And uh, if they're in law school or even thinking about it, if they get an internship with a law firm, even if it's non-paying, just to learn more about, you know, what goes on inside a law firm and the, the broad range of uh, legal, legal practice areas. I think that's great advice. I think yeah. internships are, are very invaluable. I want to thank you, Mike, for taking the time to come on to the Business Hour. Well, thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me very much. You've been listening it. to yeah. the Business Hour here at America's Web Radio. We're on from 10 to 11 on Fridays. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week on the radio.